Welcome to Reimagining Liberty, a show about the emancipatory and cosmopolitan case for radical social, political, and economic freedom. I'm Aaron Ross Powell. Music gives us meaning, not just in the way we identify deeply with our favorite songs, but in the ways genres create scenes and communities. My conversation today brings back my good friend Akiva Malamut, contributing editor at The Unpopulist, to discuss the connection between music and meaning and what it can tell us about liberal politics and culture. Let me very briefly mention that Reimagining Liberty is a listener-supported show. If you enjoyed these discussions and want to get early access to new episodes, you can become a supporter by heading to reimaginingliberty.com. With that, let's turn to my conversation with Akiva. Over a handful of episodes now, you and I have been having a continuing conversation about liberalism and meaning. So why today are we talking about loud music? So I think we're talking about loud music in part because we've been talking so much about meaning. And one of the ways that people achieve meaning in the contemporary world is through musical cultures through musical subcultures, through the kind of music that they, uh, that they like, reflects something about who they are, what their identity is, what it means to them. Particularly in the heavier end of the music communities, music isn't just something you listen to, the way that people listen to pop radio, and it's kind of in the background, and it's not very important for their identity, but music that's uh, heavier, more intense, heavy metal, punk, industrial music, stuff like that, tends to form an identity, it tends to form a sense of self that is separate from the wider culture and that is very distinctive. And it's important to explore what it is that these cultures reflect for people so that we can better understand how in a liberal society people do find meaning, what it is that they do in order to create cultures that are valuable and important to them without being controlling and domineering. Um, And that give them a sense of purpose and, and, and value in their lives. And I think, in particular, loud music um, is a very valuable way to think about that precisely because it is such a powerful form of thick identity for people, but that doesn't result and actually has norms against domination and social control. Let's bracket the particular loud characteristic right now and just stay on on music more broadly for a moment. Why music as this nexus of identity, community, culture, value formation, and so on in a way that I was I was trying, as you were saying this, I was trying to think of other things that other cultural products, media products that that people build identities around in a similar way. And you can find examples of it for basically anything. Like there are people who are just super into obscure films and that becomes their whole identity in their community or people who are super into particular genres of literature or people who are super into comic books and so on. But, but it doesn't seem to be as pervasive as music. Like everybody has, it feels like has built there, especially when you're a teenager, you build your identity around being into a particular type of music, whether that's loud or you go through your goth phase. Uh, It's music is, 
is not unique in identity formation, but it seems to be widespread as a way of identity formation that's different from other mediums. Yeah, I think because music taps into something very deep in us, um, the what music does activates something very gut and primal and um, kind of pre-modern in us. Um, these this these very deep emotions of happiness or sadness or uh, anger or fear. Um, it it has this ability to tap into the kind of dominant strain of whatever we're feeling in a way that is very basic and psychological in a way that I think even art, other forms of art or literature don't aren't quite as direct. There's something about sounds that's very powerful that really channels the feelings that we have. And then those sounds are accompanied by imagery that reflect the further feeling that we have, you know, so people who are into goth music wear black clothes and then the music is very sad and it's all about you know, lost loves and stuff like that. And that whole package of certain kind of sad, kind of droning sound um, combined with the imagery that, let's say, goth music often has creates a form of deep um, emotional um, kind of centeredness, uh, an emotional... Uh, it, it really taps into something very basic within us about who we are and what we're feeling. Um, so, you know, there are, I, emote, I think musical forms have dominant emotions. I would say, for example, my favorite genre of heavy metal, the dominant emotion is anger. And so for people who feel very anxious or frustrated, the, the sounds that conjure up feelings of aggression or of anger it helps channel those the feelings that they have and it helps center and identify them as someone who struggles with or who deals with certain kinds of feelings and that centers their identity in a very basic significant way in a way that maybe other forms of of art don't quite do another interesting feature of music as identity formation though that's the so we could present what you just said as like positive way that it forms identity, that it, it gives us something that we identify we identify with that helps form our identity, gives us meaning and so on. But there's a, a negative sense in which one of the interesting features of music is people can't stand each other's music in a way that is, is different from like, I can't stand your taste in novels. Or I can't stand your taste in television. Like that, we don't talk about that in the same way as we talk about like the kids these days with their rock and roll, or now they're not rock and roll, um, or the music that my parents listen to is lame, um, or the music used to be better when I was in high school. Like there, there seems to be kind of a negative partisanship angle to this as well, where we we can point to music as a differentiator and and then often too as like a sign of decline, right? So like your your trads and your your anti-liberals now who one of the things that they point to when they're talking about how liberalism destroys culture and meaning is that the music isn't Beethoven anymore. It's the Rolling Stones and and that's a sign of decline. And so is there something too going on with this kind of 
negative partisanship angle to it? Yeah, I think the music that you pick can reflect a cultural identity. Um, so sometimes you have a cultural identity because of the music that you like. And sometimes you have a cultural identity and then you choose music based on the identity that you have. And so I think for a lot of the trads, I don't know how many of them actually like classical music, but I think they have an idea that classical music is somehow nobler and better and higher art than other forms of music. Um, and so there's this kind of, you know, it marks a, a social divide in terms of, you know, who's on team X versus team Y. Um, cultural people who like Beethoven are more conservative. They have these kind of grand ideas about Western civilization or whatever. Um, and um, they see classical music as being, a. I think it's it's hard to talk about this stuff in generalities, but I think popular music or pop music, and by pop music, I don't just mean literally pop music. I mean anything that's popular, whether it's rock music or or actual pop music or whatever, they see that that mainstream stuff as um, devoting itself to a kind of a cult of the self and of self-expression and of self-identity and authenticity, whereas what they want is a pre-modern concept of the individual is subservient to the collective, right? And so the devotion to classical music is that it's the kind of thing where it's not about self-expression, it's about some sort of technical expertise, it's about this high art and the and especially about self-transcendence, um, particularly because classical music has such strong connections to religion um, and evolved out of religious Catholic, you know, music. Um, and so I think that there's like this dividing line about whether, especially for the, the trad neo-reactionary types about whether the music that you listen to is about authenticity and self-expression and individualism and whether it's about sublimation of your desires to something more glorious and transcendental. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't know whether that is a, so I think in some ways that specific divide is about a kind of ideological split in terms of how, what the music is supposed to be doing, um, and often how it's expressive, what it's expressive of. Let's turn back to loud music specifically, which very much ties into, I think what we were just talking about and, and particularly generational divides of getting yelled at to turn your music down or getting told that what you're listening to is just noise. Uh, what makes music loud in the sense that you're talking about? It's not, I assume, just turning it up to 11. Um, I would, some of it is about literal power and volume. Um, some of it is about the lyrical content that's quite extreme and um, – subversive. So in the case of punk music, it often has a lot of political critique involved. In the case of metal, there's a lot of themes about power and resisting power um, or of violent imagery, um, whether it's in more fantasy kind of Dungeons and Dragons mode or something more uh, contemporary like serial killers or something like that, um, horror imagery. Um, and so, you know, music can be loud both in terms of the the sonic components, but also in terms of the lyrical imagery that it uses, in terms of the um, the visual imagery that it uses, there's like there's a lot of intense imagery on um, louder, heavier music, whether it's punk or metal or industrial. Um, 
So I think all of those, those things, the visual components, the lyrical matter, the sonic components all come together to create something that's very intense, very um, stands out from the crowd um, and um, makes an impression on people. Stands out from the crowd is an interesting phrase because there's a uniformity to genre in music that is often very pronounced. So punk rock is about not, not all of it, but certain genres of punk rock are about critiquing the contemporary society about having strong political views that are outside of the mainstream, particularly a conservative mainstream. But there's also a pronounced uniformity in in doing so. Years and years ago, I interviewed for my old show, Free Thoughts, um, the punk rocker Frank Portman, or Dr. Frank of the um, Bay Area punk band, the Mr. T Experience. And he talked about being in a punk rock band in the 80s in Berkeley, California, and how every band that they played with was what he referred to as a Reagan band. So all of their songs are about how much Ronald Reagan sucked and and how his band, which as they every set opens with were the Mr. T experience from Berkeley, California, and this is a song about a girl. And so all of their songs are just about girls. That was they were criticized by the Reagan bands for not being a Reagan band, for not taking the the politics seriously. And it was it's it's in retrospect kind of a humorous dynamic, but there is this, you know, the the metal songs all have a particular sound and a particular set of lyrical characteristics and not in in terms of like the tone of the vocals, but also the content of of the vocals. The punk rock is the same three power chords over and over again for albums on. And so on the one hand, there is this kind of building our identity to be unique among you step outside of the dominant culture, but then you're building your identity around something that is incredibly consistent to the point of often looking like a really rigid conformity to genre. Yeah, I think you see that very clearly. Um, like if you go to any heavy music show, like everyone's wearing black t-shirts and especially in punk and metal, people were wearing battle jackets with patches on them for the uninformed. A battle jacket is basically just a leather or denim jacket with patches on it, but they're called battle jackets because it's aggressive music. And, you know, in the case of metal, people have long hair. In the case of punk, people have short hair. Um, Unless it's long and gelled to stand straight up. Spiky. Yeah, right. Although nowadays, like as metal and punk have become more intertwined in various complicated ways, you know, you might see a band that's like half short hair, half long hair or something like that. I remember it was like that when I saw the Dillinger Escape Plan. So... Yeah, I think um, there's a lot of uniformity. I like. Uh, there's this joke. Um, I remember the the, the cultural critic um, escapes me now, but there was a story that he was telling about how there's this weird. Uh, he was you really into Kiss in the '80s, um, and there was this weird idea of the Kiss Army, 
where it was sort of like we're all into kiss and we're all like this army of people into kiss and we all wear the face paint and the makeup and stuff um and there's this strange idea that somehow we're like distinct for because we don't look like other people because we're wearing all this kiss stuff but then when we're all together in a group we all look <laughs> the same when we all have the same like kiss idea yeah i think identities are defined both by what they are and what they're not and so part of what defines heavy music in particular is standing out from the crowd of ordinary folk who aren't dressed like that. But part of what bonds people together and creates an identity is some sense of similarity and of commonality. And so to create an identity, there's the sense that, you know, in order for us to all be kind of members of the tribe, we want to have this sense that we're all looking like each other, that we like the same things, that we're all part of the same unit. Um, and that creates a sense of commonality um, and of shared um, shared understanding, shared identity. Um, that can also result in a lot of gatekeeping about what counts as legitimate membership in the community. Um, because as soon as you have a community, you have to define the borders of that community. And so you end up having a lot of people within a community to say that some form of version of that thing is not legitimate, even though to an outsider, all of this stuff is the same. Like the punk singing about girls is still punk music. It's just about girls. It's not pop music. And so like, it's all, it's all sort of a relative vantage point. Yeah. I think like cultures depend on uh, define on defining in and out in groups and out groups. They depend on um, to have a sense of self and sense of identity. They need to say what counts as that identity. Um, and people who like to have who are more rigid and dogmatic um, in their personalities will define that identity in in particularly in fairly narrow terms. And so then the people who are entrepreneurs or rebels in their personality will often not only rebel against the wider society and join this musical community, but then uh, rebel against it again by being different within their community. So like famously Henry Rollins in the 1980s grew his hair out because all everyone else had short hair um, and he wanted to piss people off um, because punks hate the hippies as we discussed in a previous episode. So, you know, I think people look for a sense of, being different, but also for a sense of solidarity. Um, and they rebel both against the people who make them conform, but they also rebel against the people who they think are breaking with the norms of the solidarity that it is that they want to create, the form of community that they do want. This is really interesting in light of the conversations that we've had in the past and and the critiques of meaning in liberalism made by conservatives, reactionaries, anti-liberals, and so on. Because what it sounds like is within these tight genre-based musical communities, they have reproduced in on a smaller scale and with perhaps more porous borders or or greater ease of exit, the kinds of identity formation building and protecting that conservatives want at the broader cultural level and and argue that liberalism is is dissolving 
and and so what I what I mean is earlier on you said one of the things that the kind of the trads like about classical music is that it's not a it's to to generalize it is it's about kind of subsuming yourself into this collective versus self-expression um but as we just talked about within the the narrow punk or hardcore or metal or death metal or black metal or goth or mod or whatever it happens to be community that you're within you're subsuming yourself into that the live music experience is to a great extent about you kind of losing a sense of your individual identity and becoming part of of the crowd which is then part of the performance on stage and so on you're policing the boundaries you're setting strict rules about what counts as membership and then what the social norms are and how you can you can betray those by like your band was part of our community but now you're on a major label and you've sold out um, or your new album has too many acoustic songs on it and that's not who we're about anymore you know like this looks very much like the kind of reactionary trad stuff that we see and so in that sense is it if we're presenting this as look within a liberal society people can be finding meaning and here are communities that are examples of it but then these communities have the characteristics of the kind of anti-liberal meaning sources that we're critiquing is that a problem for the whole conversation you and i have been having i don't think so i think i mean i'm not a big fan of of gatekeeping um, as it's often called for communities, you know, so gatekeeping would be an example of gatekeeping would be like this band counts as metal, but this other band that I don't like doesn't count as metal or something like that. Right. Or in, um, unfortunate non-egalitarian examples, um, women can't play metal. It was a really famous thing or black people can't pay, play metal, um, are unfortunate relics of the past. I think it's an inevitable characteristic of people to want to define the boundaries of the group that they belong to. And it's very hard to create a group of individual of pure individuals. It's very hard to create a group in which everyone's doing, doing their own thing. Then you don't have much of a group. Then you have a collection of individuals doing their own thing. And so healthy boundary policing of saying, this is kind of what we're about. Um, I think is necessary. Like, and you know, has especially if it occurs in an organic way, like in many ways, these kinds of what counts as the 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 boundaries of certain musical scenes are a great example of spontaneous order, where no one tells everyone that we're gonna wear black t-shirts. We just decided each person, you know, some of us were wearing black t-shirts, and other people said, Hey, I also want to wear a black t-shirt. And then it became this thing that everyone wears black t-shirts, but no one told us all to wear black t-shirts. I'll just point uh, out that at the moment, both you and I are wearing black, black t-shirts. t-shirts and it was not yeah. coordinated. I think that's been true in every podcast. Um, <laughs> We're just c- consistent. We're yeah. discriminating and discerning in our, in our, in taste. our style. Yeah. I'm very discerning in the fact that like 90% of my wardrobe is black. Um, 
Yeah, I think like there's always a need to define the boundaries of your identity, like I said. Um, and so in a healthy in a healthy way, it's just an organic expression of like, what is this thing that we're doing? What is it about? You know, what distinguishes it from other people? Well, it's about wearing black t-shirts and it's about loud music and it's about like some certain things. Um, in an unhealthy form, it can create reaction by saying that the boundaries of this thing that we're doing can never expand, can never change. And so you get reactions against no one who's into metal can have short hair or no one who's into punk can have long hair or metal albums can't have ballads on them. That was a huge thing for a while. Um, or if they do have ballads and it's glam metal. So, you know, there's, there's healthy and unhealthy boundary policing, I think is what I'm trying to say. And to some extent you need, you need different, you, the, the problem is that the people who like to police boundaries tend to be very conservative. Um, and the people who don't like to police boundaries tend not to be, tend to be more accepting. And there's some kind of spectrum here of like, what counts as the thing that we're doing, what counts as not the thing that we're doing. Um, I tend to be on the more inclusive side. Um, but obviously, like, there are, there is a point in which, like, you know, you do so, you make so many, it's a bit like the, um, you make so many changes that it's no longer the thing, it's no longer part of the community. We can imagine a version of that, right? Like, you don't just not wear, wear, have longer short hair or a certain color t shirt, but like the music you're making doesn't sound like, whatever it is that we this music tends to sound like and eventually you're not really making metal or punk anymore you're making something else and you're part of some other kind of community um maybe the best way to think about this then is as a model of a healthier way to think about meaning and identity formation in a free society that is inevitably going to be imperfect, right? So when you talk about there are people who are going to be gatekeepers, who are going to police the boundaries, there's always that kind of conservative-minded person. And this is a, a good way to emphasize that conservative doesn't necessarily mean – you can be conservative without being politically conservative or being on the right because in the punk rock scene, they're very lefty people who are the ones who always had the, the Noam Chomsky books for sale at the merch table – who were not at all the right wingers, but were deeply conservative in the sense that they knew exactly what punk rock meant and entailed. And if you weren't buying their Noam Chomsky merch, then you weren't a member of the tribe and so on. Um, but one of the things that I think this exposes about meaning is most of us have the experience of getting very into a particular genre of music, of recognizing a community and culture around it, even if we didn't become obsessives with it, and even if we weren't going to all of the local shows in that genre, um, and we weren't, you know, we weren't making it core to our identity, we at least have a sense of like what that feels like. Um, we can see how that exists in peaceful diversity with other sorts of communities that, you know, you can be the 
the metalhead and you can see that there's the ska kids over there, but very rarely does that lead to violence or a belief that like the mere existence of the ska kids is something that has to be stamped out for the the good of the broader culture. Um, although I'm sure there are some people out there who are like, the world would have been better if there hadn't been third wave ska. Uh, but, and and we have the experience of that not being that being a source of meaning but not dominant and something that we can kind of drift into and out of you can be into a particular genre really heavily and then you're not and you age out of you were the the metalhead or the punk rock kid in high school and then you kind of grew out of it you changed but you can return to it in you know you can you can listen to those albums again and feel that sense of belonging again but but in this in this healthy and porous and dynamic way that does not depend upon uniformity it might mean uniformity within your little culture as we talked about but it doesn't mean uniformity across the culture and we can be comfortable with that and it doesn't and and i think it also exposes to us the the nature of of change that you know, they, we, we all have, I think, everyone thinks that music peaked when they were in high school, more or less. Like that was the, you know, so for me, it was like the, the mid to late, late 90s were the high point of American popular music. And I think that's probably objectively true because I lucked into a particular decade for which it was true, but everyone else at least feels that it is true. Um, but we, we recognize that that, that shifts right? And that things are different. Um, and all of this feels like how we should be thinking about meaning and identity formation in a liberal society, that we should be saying to the the conservatives, like, look, you can have your conservatism in your little community where you find your like-minded people and it can be really important to you. And you can walk the walk and talk the talk and wear the black t-shirts and hang out with those people and you can police those boundaries, but then it can be held on to loosely in the way that music is. Yeah. I mean, I think part of what defines conservatism is, <laughs> is inflexibility. Um, and so it's hard to make that case to people who are truly conservative. And again, we're talking about conservatism in a kind of dispositional way rather than the sense of specific politics. Um, but, but I think most of us too recognize like that person who was heavily into the genre in high school and wore the battle jackets and spiked their hair and only listened to this stuff and spent all their time going to the shows. Most of us, even kind of the conservatives among us, if we see that person still doing that in their 60s. Our reaction is not not necessarily like they've done something wrong, but it's it's kind of an oddity, right? Like we we recognize that your identity shifts over time in this regard, even even the conservatives among us. Well, in the case of the the person wearing battle jackets in their sixties, which I think is pretty cool, um, and I'm twenty nine, so make of that what you will. Um, like I think what uh, happens there is has to do with markers of adulthood, and we perceive music, especially as a youth culture thing, um, especially particular kinds of music, like 
rebellious forms of rock music and metal, which is just, just, just a form of rock music. And so that has more to do with being young versus being old. But again, like I take your point that it's about, it's also about um, the idea that people change over their lives and they ought to change, especially as they become adults. Um, and so we, we feel, we think it's a little weird when someone's preferences don't change or when they remain the same kind of person. I think this gets at like, maybe I'm being too philosophical here, but at theories of the self, like somehow the self is supposed to be this thing that whether I think, um, you know, what defines the self is always a combination of permanency and change. There's always some kind of core or some collection of core. I mean, if you're really radical about the self, then there is no self. If you're like Buddhist or Humean or something, which I'm a Humean, so the self is just a bundle of perceptions. But I think there's a sense that like the self is is something that is supposed to change. But I think all of us recognize that uh, the self is also something that, in order to be defined, requires some sense of permanency as well. And so there's a dialectic, you know, between the permanency and the ch- and the change, um, or the, between the essential core and the stuff that can shift. And so, you know, I think we expect a certain amount of change over someone's life, um, particularly, like I said, between adulthood and childhood, or between your teen years and your adult years, and so on. But we don't expect total change, like if if I, you know, music may not be the best example here, but I've always been a nerd, right? As one of my core pieces of identities. And I like books and I like, you know, science fiction and I like stuff like, and comic books and stuff like that. Um, And if someone were to meet me now and suddenly I wasn't like that at all. um, And I like suddenly got really into sports um, and like was a super jock. Um, they might legitimately ask whether I had had a head trauma, I think. Um, like, it is weird if someone's entire self changes um, over the course of their life, every last piece of it. Um, and so I think there's always, you know, like there's there's always a, like I said, a back and forth between the permanent parts and the more fluid parts, um, even if the more permanent parts are also kind of a an artifice. And maybe that's bound up then in why music plays the role in politics that it does as as so often a flashpoint around. So there were lots of criticisms of the the second Bush administration in the Iraq war um, coming from in all sorts of genres and mediums, but the Dixie Chicks criticizing George W. Bush was was a huge flashpoint. Or as we're having this conversation, the the Trumpist right is really upset at Green Day for changing a line in their song American Idiot to I think changing it from the redneck agenda to the MAGA agenda, if I remember correctly. Um, because Green or, Day was always a band that we thought of as being extremely right wing and like pretty- right. There's always those like people like why did Green Day suddenly become political or or the people who are like why I didn't realize Rage Against the Machine was a lefty band. You know, like there's there's an odd kind of denying of the politics of music also. But this this has been this ongoing thing, right? Like the Tipper Gore's freakouts about rap music. 
and and the lyrics in it and the the parental the advisory PMRC stickers yeah. or i remember um the the rapper and now most people probably know him from law and order actor ice t was in a band um called body count that was like a a hardcore slash metal band that he sang in and they put out an album with a song called cop killer that was a a fairly aggressive song about police misconduct and police brutality in black communities. And it caused this extraordinary uproar. And it turns out to this day, that album is on all of the streaming services, but the song itself is not. It's gone from, you can only find it in, in bootleg on YouTube and whatnot. Music has been this kind of flashpoint and and maybe part of that is that it does represent we do see the kind of dynamism it's a representation of dynamism within our culture that is everybody's into music except for there's a handful you know we probably find a handful of people who don't like music but everyone's into music and everyone has music that they identify with and everyone has music that they like and and you're aware of the changing culture of music and the changing preferences and how the top 40 looks very different this year than it did 10 years ago or 10 years before that. Um, and so it's this like constant sign of the dynamism of identity and therefore the dynamism of the self in a way that's different from literature or film or comic books or philosophy or whatever other things we might, you know, are, are also dynamic features of a liberal society. And, and so it's a, it's, it's basically, it feels like music is a constant reminder that the kind of static society that the trads and conservatives and right-wingers and reactionaries want is, is an impossibility and and it's an impossibility that they themselves recognize because they recognize that their own tastes and preferences and the communities that go along with it have shifted over the course of their lives. And so it becomes this flashpoint because music is just liberalism in action and liberal identity and meaning in action. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Um, I think – because this goes back to what I was saying earlier about music being a very primal thing. Music reflects how you feel on a very basic level, like the literal sounds evoke certain emotions, and that's um, very deep. And so, you know, as, as we feel differently, the music changes. Um, and so, like, you know, I, one of the, it's often said that uh, grunge killed hair metal. Um, and so, you know, you can see that in action where music that was all about partying and having sex became this very introspective, like, what is the world? What am I here for? You know, kind of, I feel bad. Um, I feel depressed kind of music. And there's just a shift in like how people felt um, uh, from this kind of, you know, partying excess to this <laughs> sad drug, drug haze. Um, and that reflects, yeah, the shift that people go through in 
in their lives and in society overall. Um, and so there's a reason why like music in general has due dates in terms of its popularity because society overall changes in terms of what the appetite is for different kinds of feelings and different kinds of emotions. Um, and so I think, you know, just the shift in what's popular reflects a kind of organic changes within liberal society, within a free society, about how people feel, how, pe how people are relating to the world. Um, I don't think that's actually confined to music. I think that probably similar things happen in literature, happen in movies, happen in other areas of art. But because music is so basic and primal, I think um, there's something very deep and reflective in it about the nature of change and how change is this consistently change is constant um changes you know um was it heraclitus who says you never step in the same river twice um because the, there's like new water um as the river flows so that it's this continuing thing and that for sure reflects something fundamental about society and i think it's not surprising then that I mean, conservatism in many ways, small c or big C, is about looking backwards. It's about, in the famous words of William F. Buckley, standing athwart history, yelling stop. And it's, so it's not surprising that you know conservatives and reactionary types tend to want to preserve music from an earlier era and say, the music that we listen to is a kind of frozen snapshot of society. Um, it's society at this point in time rather than in the current point in time in which we actually live. Um, because what they want is not to do their own thing. They want all of society to be marching to the same drummer. And, you know, as we've discussed before, a lot of this stuff is not just about having conservative preferences, but about everyone else reflecting your preferences. Otherwise, society is going to go to hell um, because they have some vision about the way, the purpose that all people need or whatever. So I think, yeah, there's something very fundamental there that you've hit on that's quite profound, that, you know, the society is continuing to change and music is reflective of that. Thank you for listening to Reimagining Liberty. If you like the show and want to support it, head to reimaginingliberty.com to learn more. You'll get early access to all my essays, as well as be able to join the Reimagining Liberty Discord community and book club. That's reimaginingliberty.com or look for the link in the show notes. Talk to you soon.